Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. The final installment of our IBC Theology Conference is upon us. And we hope that you've enjoyed Reverend Philip Harrelson as much as we have here on campus. You can hear more from Brother Harrelson by following him on Twitter at Barnabas14. While you're in the following mood, if you don't already follow Indiana Bible College, go ahead and do that too. You can find us at IBC Promo on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, but please don't just follow us. We want to hear from you as well. So go ahead and drop us a line on social media. We can't wait to hear it. Before we get to the greatest priorities, our message from Reverend Philip Harrelson today, I want to let you know about another priority that you may not have even known you had. Education. That's not a priority, you may quip, but that's because you didn't know that you can continue your education online or finish your degree online with the Indiana Bible College Distance Learning Program. See there? Now that you know it's possible, it's a great priority, or at least it should be. So head over to www.ibcdl.com and schedule a meeting with our Director of Distance Learning to take the next step. It's just $99 for each class per month. You'll be happy you made it a priority. Perhaps it's not the greatest priority, but it is a priority nonetheless. Here is Reverend Philip Harrelson preaching to us the greatest priority. take this lightly and it has been a huge honor for me to be able to be here with you and uh, some of you I've had the opportunity to mix and mingle with although it's been very brief uh, but I do believe in Bible colleges and uh, I'm praying that that the Lord will um, that the Lord will touch you and continue to help you and and hear me out when I say this as well uh, you may not have a bunch of people looking for you when you graduate from Bible college. In fact, nobody wanted me when I graduated from Bible college. I went back to my home church because nobody was calling, nobody was knocking on the door. That can be a little bit discouraging uh, because you put a lot of energy and emphasis in coming to Bible college. But trust me when I say this, believe in the sovereignty of God that means that God is in absolute control. He called you. He will get you where you're supposed to be. You don't have to lean on your own connections. You don't have to lean on any of that. You just let the Lord open the doors up, and He will take care of you. Now, here's what the devil will try to do. He'll try to frustrate you and make you think that you're being very ineffective. But I'm just, you, you, you stay faithful. And let the Lord open the doors up. He'll get you where you need to go in due time. Amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. And uh, if you wonder, maybe perhaps the, some of the content of the messages that I'm preaching uh, to a special 
to a special group. Uh, your ministers in training, and so the messages that I'm preaching to you last year and then this year, uh, I am responsible for our district license and seminar. And so what I have the the honor to do is to preach to preachers, both local, general, and ordination level. So what I do is I have preached to you some reruns. Forgive me for that. Uh, but I felt like I was preaching to preachers. And so these messages that I'm preaching to you have either served in one of two areas. They have either been ordination messages or they have been messages that I have preached to people at license and seminars. And if you think there's a lot of content in it, then I, I, there is because I believe when I'm preaching to preachers that there needs to be a little bit heightened bar. And so I, I pray I don't overwhelm you with a lot of details, but I do love the Word of God. And uh, let the Word of God be the focus in your ministry, and the Lord will be able to help you to do His will. Acts chapter 6, let's start in verse 1. The Bible says there, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer into the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. I would like for you to look again to verse 4. The Bible says, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so I want to preach to you here for the next little while about the great priorities. The great priorities. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here today. Lord, I'm thankful for your goodness. I'm thankful for your Word. I'm thankful, Lord, for the the anointing and the Spirit, God, that I feel in this chapel. I'm praying, Lord, today, let your word find receptive hearts. Lord, let it grow in our minds. Help us, God, to do your will. Help us, Lord, to love truth. I pray, Lord, help us to settle the priorities Lord, in every one of our ministries. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. The great priorities. I know that I address you here today. There are a variety of levels of experience. You have freshmen all the way to seniors. And, um, and that is the case even whenever you start uh, finding yourself involved in ministry. There uh, will be times when you leave here after you've graduated that you won't uh, necessarily be around peers that are students, but you will be around other ministers 
And again, there are varying levels of experience because of years of service that you will be involved in. And I have to tell you that you have to settle the priorities in your own life and in your own ministry because of the fact that there will be a lot of things that will pull at you to try to move you away from what the Lord has called you to do. And I have to be honest with you here this morning and confess to you that there have been times, even in my own calling, that I have gotten distracted from the purpose of prayer and ministry of the Word. The devil loves to be able to have, and even our flesh in the world, loves to have ministers that get off track and they forget to pray. And they can still preach, but when you do not have prayer mixed with preaching, then it ends up just being nothing more than it can be an academic lecture or sometimes can even be uh, a rant. Years ago, whenever I was a young man, I remember hearing one of my heroes preach, and, and during that time while he was preaching, he mentioned a, a book that he thought that was crucial for, uh, for, for all ministers at the time for them to read. And uh, as I've gone along, I have been uh, very aware and conscious or try to be that whenever men would mention authors that I would try to track them down. And he mentioned a man by the name of Eugene Peterson that had written a book called Under the Unpredictable Plant and the subtitle was, was An Exploration in Vocational Holiness. Now this book was written probably before most of you were born. Uh, it was written in, as a series of books about pastoral ministry or about pastoral theology from the years of 1980 to the years of 1992. And, and uh, the other books in that series was called Working the Angles and uh, another one was called The Contemplated Pastor. And then there was another one that was called Five Smooth Stones for Pastoral Work. And, and those books kind of had uh, an impact on me as a, young, as a young preacher. And I began to read uh, those books. And, uh, and one of those in, the, in that book that I mentioned about Under the Unpredictable Plant that led me to a book called The Contemplative Pastor, which deals with, and, and uh, that word contemplative has kind of gotten a bad name here in the last five or six years. But whenever this book was written back in the 80s, what it was dealing with was the inner life of a minister. And there was a paragraph in that particular book that I wrote in a number of my Bibles in the front uh, flap of those Bibles. It goes like this. Impatience or the refusal to endure is to pastoral character what strip mining is to the land. It is a greedy rape of what can be gotten at the least cost and then the abandonment in search of another place to loot. He said a pastor has to be disciplined and because there are tendencies toward apathy and complacency and, and there is a susceptibility that we can become as ministers lazy and we have to be constantly alert that in ourselves and in our churches that we can lead them down those particular paths. 
And I would tell you here today that that is a true statement. You may not understand that in the early stages, but if you are a lazy person, the ministry can magnify that because as you get further into it, generally speaking, there's nobody that is finding out what time you're showing up to come to the church. And there's nobody that's really watching what you're doing with your time. And if you're not careful because of that amount of time and the lack of structure for that, then it can really cause you to lose track of your your time. But as you lose track of your time, you lose track of your life. I remember a statement that Brother Pugh said years ago whenever I was in our licensing seminar at and in Alabama. And he said these words. He said, time is the coin of life. Don't let a fool spend it for you. That's a pretty provoking thought. That time is the coin of life. Don't let a fool spend it for you. The text that I read to you here this morning helps us to see that that, that early church had several potholes. And, and this is one of the potholes that they ran into whenever uh, that early church started. They, they uh, began to have problems and difficulties. And again, let me reiterate that whenever you read the book of Acts, don't only hit the high points, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, and, and the great revival that are there, but there are problems that Luke recorded for us for our instruction and to help us to be able to see that even in the middle of great progress and the Holy Ghost falling and spiritual authority being there, that there can be challenges and difficulties that we face in ministry. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, we're brought to a flashpoint and it says it like this. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. There are some details that we find there in that passage and you begin to see that that the problems begin to be between those uh, those Grecians and the Hebrews. The Hebrews obviously based there uh, out of Jerusalem, but the uh, the Grecians were from other parts, and there was a language barrier that was there, and it soon began to creep into the church there that the Hellenistic Jews or the Grecians were having problems with the Palestinian Jews that resided there in that particular place, and the apostles found themselves rife with having to deal with what we would understand as racism even in our generation here today. It was complicated that they were having to deal with attitudes of those that had been spirit filled and yet we're aware that it would be great if whenever people got the Holy Ghost if they would just immediately acquiesce to what the spirit was doing in their lives and become uh, sensitive to the Holy Ghost and 
change in their character, but that's not always the case as it is. And you can look to Paul's writings to the church at Corinth and realize that there was a lot of carnality and human flesh that was involved in the workings of that church. But they began to murmur here. And and the Greek word for that means that, that there was a secret debate that was going on behind the scenes. And as that secret debate began to go along, it escalated in the way where that all of a sudden those apostles were looking at that newly born church and they were having to deal with the factors of the distribution of goods that were there. And so the apostles began to realize that, hey, this is nothing more than just a detour that's trying to get us off off of our original purpose. And so they come along and and you see there in verse 2, the Bible says that when the twelve called the multitude of the disciples among them, they said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That, that needs to be reiterated, not only in the first century, but it needs to be reiterated in the 21st century as well. It is not reason that we should get off into something that is a smokescreen or that would pull us away from the work and the call of to of ministry that is the, is to be the priority and there are times where that we can get so busy trying to build the kingdom of God, working on the mundane details and and that it's not too long that the more that you give yourself to the waiting on of tables, and again, I'm I'm not in any way saying that there ought to be a sense of superiority in ministry to say that we're too good to do that particular thing. I'm just telling you that if there is a calling in your life that you've got to make sure that you focus in on the direction of what the Lord has called you to do. And so it was that as they got involved in those mundane details, it pretty soon began to hit their prayer and began to hit their ministry of the Word. And they began to realize that there was a sagging power, that that, that it was almost like that they had, had lost their authority and there was a very detrimental effect that had taken place on in, in the spiritual health and welfare of that particular church. And I have to tell you again that I am sorry to admit to you that there have been times that I look to in my own personal ministry that I found myself bogged down with a variety of details. And you can go along for a week and, and you may be able to make it for a month, but it will not be too long before you start working in spiritual areas and you will be just like Samson. You will say, where is the power? Where is my strength at? And one of the scariest phrases in the word of the Lord was after that Delilah had cut the hair of Samson. The Bible tells us that the spirit of the Lord left Samson and the Bible says he wist not. He did not even know that it had gotten away from him and that is what busy 
laziness will do to all of us. No matter how noble the goal may be, no matter how needful it, it may be, the great priority of your life is prayer and ministry of the Word. There's times where the congregation can push you as a minister and the church leaders can even push you in directions where that your life becomes, it almost takes on a, a, a sense of a frantic quality that you're, that you're running to and fro trying to keep up with what you are, are involved in and, and uh, what needs to happen at that part is all of a sudden you've got to look at your heart and at your spirit and say this is not what the Lord has called me to do. The Lord has called me to give myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Few years ago, I had the January of 17. In fact, I had the occasion to be able to go and take part in a. Uh, it was a wonderful experience in my life to go over and and to be able to teach in the Bible school there in Accra, uh, in Ghana. And when I got there, the the missionaries on site began to show me what uh, brother and sister Rodenbush, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, had started working toward. And Brother Cisco told me, he said, one of the things that you're seeing is what Brother Rodenbush did whenever he came in here. Instead of trying to dig wells and feed the hungry and clothe the poor, they come in there and they set up a Bible school. And they said that the priority is this, is not to try to fix the social ills of our nation, but to teach the Word of God. Because we know this, if you can get the Word of the Lord inside somebody... It will take care of the needs that other people have in their lives. Don't buy into the trap that's being fed to your generation that says that you need to get on horses and charge and fight and be involved in social justice and social change. You never find the Lord being involved in that, nor do you find the Apostle Paul in his epistles saying that that is the outflow of ministry. They said that our calling is going to be prayer and ministry of the word because here's what you have to understand there are things that the Lord can do with your prayer life there are things that the Lord can do with the word of God that will never be accomplished by other means and other measures one man said it like this, John Gilmore, when he was writing uh, a book called Pastoral Politics and Why Ministers Resign. He said the true power of the pastorate is discovered in moments of measured and meaningful private prayer. The modern pastor spends entirely too much of his energy in chasing after details that should be easily ignored or handled by others. Time spent with God makes us effective in our pastoral functions and there is that part where that we have to realize that if we start functioning outside of those realms then what happens is is that ministry turns into a parade of, fr of flesh where that we lean on our own strength either to be administrators or CEOs or whatever other category that you would feel you're into that area whenever the fact of the matter is this a 21st century generation a 
21st century culture. You know what they need? They need on fire preachers. They need men and women of God that are anointed by the Holy Ghost that can step in to any situation and by the transformation of the Holy Ghost and of prayer and of the Word of God that it will transform and change things. I'm convinced that whenever we get to heaven, and I, I do believe that some of this is, is going to be that part that goes in to the judgment that the Lord is going to be able to help us to see. And I know this, that John the Revelator said that he's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. I do believe that there is some element of that, that the Lord is going to wipe away the tears that comes from painful experiences that you have in your life. But I also believe that whenever the Lord begins to speak to us, that He is going to wipe away tears of regret and tears of embarrassment because we're going to look back at our short little lives here that James said it is only a vapor and we're going to say, Lord, I wish that I would have somehow prioritized my calling a little bit better. And so it's at that point that you will lean on the grace and the mercy of God to say, Lord, it's by your grace and by your mercy that I'm even here. And yet the fact is, is those priorities that they have to be. And and I'm just encouraging you today to get a grip on that fact that prayer and the ministry of the Word is the greatest calling that we can give ourselves to. Now here's a fact. There's going to have to be a rigid discipline that you have about the matter of prayer and ministry of the Word. But I will tell you this, that the further along that you go, the more that you will realize that again that the spiritual health of that church and even your own spiritual health is woven into your ability to prioritize and say I'm going to give myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word and so whenever you start looking at that notice what else he says we're going to give ourselves continually That word there means to be steadfastly attentive to and and to give unremitting care to a goal and continue all the time in that particular place. And to do that, there's going to have to be the character, quality of perseverance that is going to have to come in to your life. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 is the verse that's under my picture in the TBC annual of 1992. I wrote it under there and it's this is that you cannot get weary in your well doing because there will come a season that you will reap a great harvest but here's what it is contingent on that you do not faint and a lot of ministry is involved in weeding and watering and waiting and there's times where you're going to get tired of weeding and there will be times whenever you get tired of waiting but somewhere along the way, if you'll just keep on watering and weeding and waiting, the Lord has an ability to bring a harvest to your life and to your ministry. 
Whenever I look at that word there, that, that means continually. I, it means that I have got to be earnest and that there has to be a perseverance that is involved in that. And here's what takes place. You begin to realize that as you persevere, it's just like the human body. The more that you work out with it, then the more that those muscles begin to grow and there's strength that is added there to that. And, and it's the same way with prayer and it's the same way with immersing yourself in the word of the Lord as you do it over a long period of time what does the Lord do he adds spiritual strength and stamina into your heart and into your life and I'm pleading with you now to know this that 10 years from now 20 years from now and 30 years from now if the Lord has not come back there are going to be people that are going to benefit from the encouragement of your spiritual strength. They're going to benefit from the commitment that you have. And so I ask you with everything inside of me here this morning for you to make that a priority. Because the Lord sent preachers and ministers to His church. But there's a cost. And one minister gave himself to that task of preaching and praying and and uh, one old preacher, he had a, a young man to come up to him one day and, and uh, he told him, he said, this young man spoke to this elder and he said, brother, he said, I, I would love, he said, in fact, he said, I would give the entire world if I could have the ability to pray like you pray and to preach the word like you do it. And that elder looked back at him and he said, my son, he said, that's exactly the cost. He he said, if you're going to move into this arena and into this area, you're going to have to give the entire world to that matter. And forgive me for bringing in this analogy, but I'm from Alabama. I'm not a Crimson Tide fan, but I'll tell you what, they like to brag about all their championships. They like to brag about all the stuff that they're involved in. But I will tell you this, my hat is off to their coach because there is a discipline that is involved with what what he calls the process and about how that he trains not only himself in that way but those players that come and play ball for him there at the University of Alabama and yet I told myself this that I'm not going to let the coach of the, of the Crimson Tide work any harder on his game plan than what I'm going to work on my ministry and my prayer life and my, and my engagement with the word of the Lord. I want to tell you something. Paul said it like this. He said they do it for a corruptible crown. And what you ought to do is you ought to look at some of the societal what they call experts and you ought to look at their discipline and their art and their craft and then say I'm going to give myself wholeheartedly to what they're doing. I know that there is a strong music program here, so I feel sure that some of you may know uh, a man by the name of Joshua Bell. Anybody know who Joshua Bell is? Nobody? They got some people, okay. Yes, Joshua Bell is, is uh, right now, they call him the world's greatest violinist. And uh, I, I read some of the part of where he gives himself to the discipline of that. And you think, man, 
the hours a day that he spends being involved in that particular area. And yet it, it, what that has done is that preparation process has caused him to be elevated so that the world of classical music, that they exalt him and say, this is the best we have. I want to encourage an IBC student here this morning that it's not going to happen next week. It won't happen next month. But could it be that 10 years from now, 20 years from now that somebody sitting in the chairs here in this chapel service that there will be people that will say oh my Lord look at what the Lord has done in your heart and in your life where did that come from and you can say that came from the private prayer rooms in IBC that began to grow in me there in those classrooms as those instructors put things into my heart and into my spirit and whenever I graduated I didn't quit I just kept on developing and I kept on growing and I kept on working because there was a priority in my life to prayer and to ministry of the word. Jesus said it like this in Luke 18 and 1. He spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul said to Timothy, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. J.C. Ryle, one of the old men that wrote back in the 1800s, wrote it like this in a book called Holiness. He said, I ask whether you pray because diligence in prayer is the secret of great holiness. Without controversy, there is a vast difference among true, di- among true Christians. I believe the difference in 19 out of 20 cases arising from the different habits about private prayer. I believe that those that are not greatly holy, they pray little. And those that are greatly holy, they pray much. There was the connection that he made between prayer and personal holiness that was in their lives. If ever we needed a generation of holy preachers and holy students and holy saints, it is in this generation. But I'll tell you this, the holiness is very closely linked to your private prayer life. Because see, prayer is absolutely needful in my own salvation. The habit of prayer is one of the truest marks to tell whether or not that I really am indeed a saint of God, a child of God, because prayerlessness tells us that we have no interest whatsoever in being involved in a relationship with the one that has died uh, for our sins. There's another thing that I would tell you about prayer, and that's this, is there is no duty in Christian service that is more neglected than the place of private prayer. Prayer is a place where you find great encouragement. You say, how do you know that? Because I'll tell you this, if you're accustomed to praying the scriptures, all of a sudden, here's what you find out. You find out that there is an advocate. There is a high priest. There is a shepherd. There is a bishop of our soul. There is the Lord is my light and He is my salvation. He is a strong tower for 
meat to run into. He is a refuge. He is a deliverer. He is a place where I can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And once you begin to see the identity of God in the Scriptures, it will put you into a place of prayer where that you can get into a church that if that church is dead and lukewarm and dried up and under a spiritual attack, you can go over to a church late at night and crawl around under the pews and begin to say, God, you've got to visit this church with revival. You've got to visit this church with spiritual awakening. You've got to visit this church with doctrinal purity. You've got to baptize us all over again with holiness. You've got to give us power for evangelism. I believe that by virtue of a spiritual leader that we often have no idea what we have at our fingertips whenever we begin to give ourselves to prayer. And so it was that Luke records for us that that's what they said. We're going to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they took their prayer seriously, but they also took their preaching just as seriously. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to slow down for a minute and point out some things here uh, to you from what Paul uh, wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's look to verse 11. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. The Bible says these things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in purity. Until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Now, very early on in chapter 4, Paul begins to talk about, he said there's some things that the devil is going to use to attack and weaken the church. He said, but I want to tell you this. He said, for you to effectively combat against that. Timothy, he said, there's some things that I want to point out to you. Look with me there to verse 13. He says it like this, give attendance to reading and give attendance to exhortation and give attendance to doctrine. What does that look like? Here's what you ought to do whenever you preach. You ought to read the text. You ought to explain the text. And you ought to apply the text. There's no other greater power in preaching for you to be able to do that. It's to read the text, to apply the text, and then to be able to uh, make that into an application where that you are able to walk it out and there is that part that true preaching takes place whenever we read the text, when we explain the text, and then whenever we apply the text. But here is a fact. If you don't know the Word, you cannot proficiently apply or explain those two particular things. And your generation has more resources than my generation ever had. You've got a multitude of Bible apps where that you can read it on your phone. You can listen to it on your phone and there is something about it that whenever you're on a long drive that you just turn the word on and you let it start pulsing through that car. There's things the Lord can speak to your heart and your spirit whenever that word is just being turned over in your heart and in your mind. 
And there needs to be a proficiency about the Word of God. And I want to be careful about this. Okay? But I love books. But you got to be careful about books. Especially those sermon books. Because those sermon books can make you as lazy as a blue tick hound dog on a hot summer day. Because they're already there. You just open up the little sermon book and pull it down and you just work through it and rearrange it and then you go preach it. And, and I'm afraid sometimes that, that in previous generations that instead of studying the Word, we studied sermon books. And sermon books are not going to help us to be able to combat the evils and difficulties that we have in this generation. That's why that whenever you preach the Word, there's a preparation of heart, mind, and soul that has to be constant, that you have to give yourself to this Word. Did you hear what Brother Huntley said to us just a few minutes ago? John 17 and 17, Thy Word is truth. And so if I'm going to know truth, it's not going to be from the Wall Street Journal. It's not going to be from the Huffington Post. It's not coming from CNN. It's not even coming from Fox News. If I want to know what the truth is, it's going to have to be thy word is truth. And I've got to get the word of God in my heart and in my spirit because there are people that are depending on me to preach the word of God and they're going to depend on you to preach it just as well. And so it is that, that a preacher has to remember that he's not just a mechanic about to work on an engine or a surgeon about to do uh, an open heart surgery and just walk in there with just little preparation that, that we have to understand this, that whenever I get in to this pulpit and begin to preach, whether it's here on a Thursday morning or whether it's going to be tomorrow night at a Purpose Institute or whether it's going to be Sunday morning in Dothan and Sunday night in Dothan, here's what I have to understand that my entire life is preparing me to preach. I can't lay down my calling and then be involved in superficial matters and then try to pick it up whenever they call me to preach. Not on your life. It's got to be with me Monday morning when I wake up. It's got to be with me Tuesday night whenever I go to bed. If there is a true calling in your life, you will be obsessed with it. You will be obsessed with it. And so to preach the Word of God, there's a preparation of heart and mind and soul that has to be a constant. And the teaching that Paul brings out here, he says, I want you to know this, Timothy. He said, the teaching that I'm telling you about, your life needs to match your teaching. Look there in verse 12. Let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers. How? In word, in conversation, or lifestyle, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Skip down to verse 16. Take heed to yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear me. And then turn over a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. 
Here is what Paul, the last words recorded of Paul. Here is what he leaves with Timothy. First, second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Every preacher that reads that particular passage, there ought to be something about it that he cries out to God and says, God, give me assistance because it can't just be in my words. There's got to be something about it that when I open my mouth and begin to preach, not only do they hear my words, but they feel the Spirit on the inside of me that you have put there. And if the church cannot just hear the words, but if they can feel the heart of that preacher, I'll tell you what, that's what true preaching is all about. And yet the fact of the matter is this. Is that one of the greatest contributors to our preaching effectively is going to be our experience with the Lord Jesus Christ walking with us in the middle of all of our miseries and sorrows and our own sins. And, and I will tell you this, the more you expose yourself to the Word of God, the more there will be that part that Paul wrote about in Romans 7. There will be a shrinking back. And you'll say the same thing Paul said. You'll say, to, you'll, say you'll cry out to the Lord, Oh, wretched man that I am, who in the world is going to deliver me from the body of this death? What's the answer to that? The enigma in in Romans 7. It's answered for us in Romans 8 because Paul immediately flips it and he begins to say, if you're going to have power over this wretched man, then here's the key that you've got to walk in the Spirit. In that entire chapter 8, there's a contrast where he flips back and forth between a man that is carnally minded, a man that is driven by his flesh versus a man that is driven by the Spirit of God. And then he gets down to Romans chapter 8 and it's that one that we always talk about 828 all things work together for good but if you look at the two previous verses prior to that what does he say Paul says I want to tell you he said there's times when I get into dilemmas and difficulties in my life that I get to praying and my praying turns into groans and those groans begins to turn in to unknown tongues where the spirit starts praying through you that you don't even know what you're praying for. That's the level of prayer that we ought to look at and connect that Romans 8 up to Acts 6 and say that's the kind of prayer I'm going to give myself to. That's because I know that if that prayer is in my life, it's going to impact the power of the preaching that I do. There's an authority that comes to a man that makes his appeal in prayer and by the word of God. And increasingly, I have to admit, if you read any of my uh, blog, I have to, you, you will pick up pretty quick that I have, have very much advocated preaching expository style where you just preach through the Word of God. You preach through it verse by verse. You preach through it paragraph by paragraph. Because if you're preaching the Word, you don't have to lean on cool illustrations. You don't have to lean on being a charismatic rock star. All you have to do is to say, let the Word, like Spurgeon said. He said, the Word don't need to be offended he, or defended. He said, the Word's like a lion in the cage. He said, just take the, open the gate up. He said, let the lion out. He'll defend himself. That's the same thing about the Word. You don't have 
have to defend it. You don't have to apologize for it. All you got to do is take the gate down and let the word get out and the word will take care of itself. And so just preach your way through the Bible. I'm going to turn on the, put the landing gear down and look for the runway lights. I'm going to conclude in this way. There's something about it that I wish that in May of 1992, when I walked across that, that platform there at Life Tabernacle in Houston, when I graduated from TVC, I wish that that night that I graduated and whenever I walked by all of those instructors, Brother David Hunt, Brother A.B. Keating, Brother Kelsey Griffin, what an incredible blessing that man was in my life. And then Brother Enzi was the president. I wish one of those men would have handed me a brand new Bible and said, Philip, here's what we want you to do. We want you to start in Matthew and you go back to Dothan and you just preach your way through the New Testament. I wish that's what they would have told me. Because I, it was a few years, probably five or ten years later, that I started realizing the power of just preaching your way through the Bible. Last night I mentioned a man by the name of Brother Ernie Jolly, a wonderful gift to young preachers and even old preachers. Brother Jolly was a tremendous man of God. And uh, has passed away a number of years ago now. But I had the occasion, whenever I was a young preacher... Uh, to come into contact with Brother Jolly. In fact, he taught some of the classes at youth camp there in Alabama whenever I was growing up. But Brother Jolly was very much inclined toward reading, and and uh, he kind of pushed me in a track, in a direction. And uh, and uh, if you can track down some of some of the books, the um, opportunities of ministry and uh, the obstacles of ministry written by a man by the name of Ralph Turnbull. I can't believe I'm giving you some trade secrets right now, but uh, go and look it up. It's a one, those two, the minister's opportunities and the minister's obstacles by Ralph Turnbull. And uh, in that part there, in the minister's opportunities, these books were written in the late 50s. And uh, in one of those chapters, uh, Turnbull talks about preaching and he talks about how that, that the Puritans would just work through scriptures. And, and uh, I run across one of those Puritans, a man uh, by the name of E.W. Bullinger. And uh, that was another author that Brother uh, Jolly turned me on to. Listen to this. He preached through 53 of the 66 books in the Bible at least once. Some of them he preached through twice. Isaiah, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Nahum, Jonah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Luke, John, Acts, 1 Peter, and 1 John. One New Testament book he preached through four times, the book of Hebrews. He wrote 13 volumes of commentaries that covered the entire New Testament except for the book of Revelation and later he published 100 sermons on the book of Revelation. He wrote 170 sermons on Jeremiah, 66 on Daniel, 190 on Isaiah. In all, more than 600 sermons were published that he had written. 
I, I hope maybe there is a volume over in the library here, but this is another Puritan that I found out about, a man by the name of Thomas Manton, that he has a commentary on Psalm 119. You know that Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it, but he has two volumes of sermons that have more than almost 200 sermons that he preached on those 176 verses. Those were men that were immersed in the Scriptures. And then just a couple, couple of weeks ago, a very close friend of mine, Brother Wayne Naylor, IBC alum, um, he had a visiting minister in, and, and uh, he began to talk to this. He said, he said how, how did you, who impacted you in, in the direction of your preaching? He said, well, he said, when I was a young preacher back in the 70s, he said there was an evangelist by the name of Harry Ivey. I've never even heard of Brother Ivey. And uh, he said that Brother Ivy would come through the churches in Oklahoma and preach. And he said, as a young preacher, he said, I asked Brother Ivy. He said, Brother Ivy, he said, I want to know how you study. And Brother Ivy said, okay. He said, meet me at 11. And so the minister said, uh, okay, I'll be there tomorrow at 11. He said, no, tonight at 11. He said, come to my trailer. And he said, he walked in that trailer and he said, there was 11 o'clock. And he said his custom was, was every night after he would get through preaching and get everything taken care of, he would go out to that little trailer. And he said that he had a little small bookshelf that was stacked up over to the side there. And he said there was kind of like a lazy boy that was there. And he said that he would sit down in that, and it was not a, late, not a big one where you rock back and you fall out and fall asleep, not one of those kind of recliners. But it was just a, a padded chair, probably similar to what one of these are. And uh, he said that Brother Ivy had this... this it was kind of like a contraption that was like a made out of plywood and it was kind of a circular deal. And he said Brother Ivy would sit there and he said he'd take that thing down and he'd get kind of made a desk there and he said he would reach up and he'd pull commentaries down and he'd sit there and he said he had an old Bible, an old Thompson chain reference Bible that he would flip through and he said he'd read the scriptures and read the commentaries and he'd write things and, and uh, this minister said that he would sit there from 11 o'clock at night until 3 o'clock in the morning and he said I sat there and he said I watched him and he said he'd mumble a little bit and then he'd occasionally look up and say hey this is, this is interesting right here and would read some scripture to him and then would read some of the commentary that was there I don't know who Harry Ivy was but I do know this the minister that was talking to brother Naylor, I've heard him preach and if I was to call his name most of you have heard him preach and you would think, man, I would like to be able to preach like he has but here's what I want to tell you that the Lord intersected him with somebody that planted some seeds in his life that has now caused him to devote himself to the word of God and here's what you're going to find, you will find that in trying to navigate through ministry that there will be times that organizations Organization, and I'm not talking about our organization. I'm talking about organization as in your plan and things in your church that an organizational flow chart won't work. It, it, it won't help to have a church barbecue. It won't help work to have just a revival. There will be times in your church that as you navigate ministry that the only thing that is going to help get that church moving in the right direction are the great priorities, and that is prayer and ministry of the word I want us to conclude exactly as we did last year would you stand to your feet
And I want you to take your Bible. And then I'd like for you to step out of your your seats and gather around the front. It's a classic story. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. It's written by John Bunyan. And there comes a time whenever it tells us an allegory, kind of a parable. It tells a story about a man that's trying to get to heaven, the celestial city. And as Christian comes across, dusk, sun is setting, it's getting dark. And he's making his way up the path. And he's looking toward a building, a house. It's a very nice house. And as he starts making his way through the dark, he looks up ahead of the path. And he sees some lions. And they're roaring, ferocious. And terror fills Christian's heart. And he thinks in his mind, I've come all the way this distance. And now I'm going to die. Because these lions are going to torment me. And to kill me. And about the time that he is totally out of hope. The door of the porter's lodge opens up. And the porter, the owner of the home picture of a pastor steps out and when he opens that door there's a beam of light that transverses the path and he calls out he says Christian if you'll walk in the light he said the lines can't get to you he said because here's what I know about those lines he said they have chains around their necks And he said, they can't get into the light. He said, but if you'll walk in the light, he said, you'll make it all the way in safely. It's a very close reflection of what John says in 1 John. If we'll walk in the light, and there will be times in the future that perhaps every one of you, you're going to have the opportunity To meet fearful, trembling, despair-filled, discouraged people. And you're not going to lean on your charisma. You're not going to lean on your education. But you're going to take this book. And you're going to crack the door just a little bit. And there will be enough light that comes out of this book. That moves in that path. And you'll be able to tell some saint, you'll be able to tell some preacher, hey, Brother Kilman told me, Brother Rodenbush told me, they told me back whenever I was in Bible college, they shared with me these scriptures. Brother Gallion said this, Sister Gallion said that. And the Lord will bring that word to your mind. And you'll be able to help somebody to be able to make it a little bit further. Because here's what the rest of the story is, is that when Christian finally got into the porter's house, there were gifts that were waiting on him. 
was a meal that was waiting on him. It was a warm bed that was waiting on him. And if ever the church needed young men, young women, that their priorities was prayer and ministry of the word, it's in this generation. So I want you to get a hold of that Bible. And I want you to get it up next to you. Lord, let this book get in my mind. Let it get in my heart. And what is in my mind and in my heart, let that pour out of my mouth. Because, Lord, I know that out of the abundance of the heart, my mouth speaks. And, Lord, if I've got your word in my heart, I can speak truth and faith and hope into people that needs to hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray for this student body. Lord, let there be a work of the Holy Ghost. Let there be a work of commitment. Lord, if we've ever valued your word, help us to value it today. I pray, God, that there would be anointing, that there would be clarity. Lord, that we would have great confidence and know, Lord, that that your word is inerrant. It's going to help us to make it the entire way in. I pray that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's it, student body. Go ahead. Open your mouth up. I want you to cry out to the Lord today. Lord, help me to be able to give myself to the great priorities. In Jesus' name. watereth are one and every man shall receive his own reward according to his his own labor for we are labors brother Carlson we are labors together with God we are God's husbandry we are God's building according to the grace of God which he has given unto me as a wise master builder I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon but let every man take heed the apostle says how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build, that's you. If any man build on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work will shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. 
If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I do not want to waste my life in ministry, not building on the priorities, Brother Harrelson. Here's what I want you to do. I, I'm not trying to add to this incredible, rich sermon. All I, I just feel a challenge here. At some point, your work is going to Indiana Bible College has three major courses of study. Biblical studies, worship studies, and our newest major, missiology. For more information about these, visit indianabiblecollege.org. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today.